Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome, welcome to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. Today, we are diving into a case that has been highly requested, even though I know it's been covered a lot in other podcasts. I think some people um, or some of you listeners just kind of wanted to get my take on it. So today, we are discussing the case of Jean Benet Ramsey. Never heard of her. Never heard of her. But you're looking up some pictures of her. So you She's can, a cute little girl. Yeah, very cute. Okay, so we're going to dive right in. We're not wasting any time. Happy New Year, though. Oh, and Happy New Year, right. Hope you had a good Christmas. I totally forgot. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) now we're going to get into it. Okay, so Jean-Benet Ramsey was born on August 6th of 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. Her father, John, was a very successful businessman and the president of Access Graphics, which was a computer system company. And just so you can grasp the scope of his success, Access Graphics grossed over $1 billion in 1996 and was sold to General Electric in 1997. So big time. Big money. Big money. He was previously married and had three kids from that marriage, but ultimately, or I'm sorry, before ultimately getting divorced in 1978. He married Patricia Ann Paw, otherwise known as Patsy, in 1980. Patsy was a beauty pageant winner who won Miss West Virginia in 1977. Um, I guess she actually grew up in a household where pageantry was like super important. Her sister had also won Miss West, Miss West Virginia. And Patsy's mom was like one of those extreme pageant moms who was reported as saying once that, um, you know, I guess there was a conversation about like, what if uh, Jean Bonnet decided that she didn't want to do this anymore? Then what would your response be? And Patsy's mom said she would do it anyway. So like when I looked her up, I, I like to not read anything because I like to get Kelly's take on the stories. So I know nothing about her. But when I looked her up, she looks like a hardcore pageant girl. Oh, yeah, big time. And we'll get into that. But, uh, but yeah, so that was kind of Patsy's upbringing. Um, she was 23 when she met John, and they were married for about seven years before they had their first child together, a son named Burke in 1987. And then three years later, they had their daughter, Jean Benet, in 1990 and moved to Boulder, Colorado the following year for John's business. And John Benet is actually... Um, the mixture of John Bennett. It's his first and middle name. They combined them together to make her name. So that's where Jean Bonnet comes from. It's like a very unique name. But Interesting. That's where it comes Sounds from. French. Yes, it does. It sounds very bougie. Might just be made up. I think it is. So starting at a very young age, Patsy would enter Jean Bonnet in beauty pageants. And Jean Bonnet won quite a few titles by the time she was six years old. The idea of child pageantry is pretty controversial. And you've heard of, you know, the show Toddlers and Tiaras. You have like some really diehard moms who pour tons of time, energy, and most of all money into these pageants that sometimes like kind of sexualize these kids with their skimpy outfits, false adult teeth, 
Like I've seen girls wear like denture flippers is what they call them, but they're That's like crazy. fake teeth. I, I knew it, it gets a little intense at times. Yeah. Like I, I even know people who like, I know a girl like, yeah, they get way into it, sexualizes them. And it, I feel like it gets, sends kids like a weird message. Oh yeah. Big time. Like would mess you up mentally. Yeah. That appearance is almost Appearance everything. is everything. And that you're everything in life needs to be validated and you you need to be validated or co-signed by somebody else in order to yeah. be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not to mention their gowns are like in the thousands. No way. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And their entry fees are in the thousands. And it's big business. A lot of these like pageant moms, just from watching a few episodes of Toddlers, Toddlers and Tiaras, like way back, I was kind of into that show for a short period of time. But some of these moms would spend money on these gowns and the girls would never wear them twice. That's crazy. Insane. I mean, and girls grow up, like, they grow pretty fast, so. But still, I mean, it's just, like, a shit pot of money. And a lot of these moms, too, would spend money, and their husbands wouldn't know about it, and they'd be hiding stuff, and they would they would have, like, these really tiny, some of them would live in, like, trailer homes, and they're dishing out thousands and thousands of dollars for their kids to do pageantry. But then, if they won, That's they what I was going to ask. What's the reward? It depends on the pageant. Sometimes it would be like 500. Sometimes it would be like 1,000. But I don't think it ever really would like pay off for a lot of these. For the entry fees, the travel, the yes, meals. The, when you can, and the training. That's nuts. It's insane. Anyway, they would, do, they would wear tons of makeup. They'd have fake tans. It's just insane. Fake tans. Fake tans. Yes, Austin. Oh, geez Louise. I know there are some pageants that only showcase natural beauty. And I feel like that's a more common thing now because... Everyone's, you know, a little more aware, but, um, those just aren't, they don't seem to be as common as the toddlers and tiaras type of pageants. So anyway, I think when this crime occurred, it got lots of national attention, partly because Jean Benet was involved in these pageants and there's pictures of her just as this like stunning little girl, but with like tons of makeup and her hair is all done and they would even like highlight her hair. I mean, it gets crazy, but some people assumed she was targeted because she was displayed in these pageants. So on Christmas Day, 1996, the Ramsey family went to a party with some of John's colleagues. And from what I've gathered, this was like a company holiday party type of scenario. On the way home, Jean Bonnet fell asleep in the car. And when they got home, John carried her up to bed. The next morning, when Patsy came downstairs, she found a two and a half page note laid out on the stairs that led to the kitchen, and this was like a spiral staircase. The note stated that a small faction had kidnapped their daughter and de- demanded $118,000, which John later pointed out to detectives was almost the exact ma- amount of his Christmas bonus. How, how much was it for? $118,000. That's random. Random as hell. So I'm going to read the note because although it's kind of long-winded, it's just important. I like to just give you the information. So the note said, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want to see her, or if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. 
Make sure you bring an adequate sized attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier delivery slash pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good Southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory, SBTC. Holy shit. First of all, that is a extraordinarily long ransom note. Um, second of all, it's, it's very shocking, the length of this note, because it's all handwritten. And if you are writing this conse- consistently, like consecutively, without pausing, it would mm-hmm. take at least 20 minutes to write this note. So it was written before they got there. You would think, but... but hold on. I just got to say something. Tell me you don't, like as a listener, and even as you and me, like you spit yourself in those situations. Think about if your kid was taken and you woke up with that note. And like, think, think about you could, people could have eyes on you to know if you're going to the police. People could tap your phone and know if you're call, going to call the police. Like, well, and this holy is in 1996. Shit. Yeah, 90s. Like, so this what? is like even more different. You what know, the would you even freaking do? Like, well, I'm trying to think what I would do. I don't even know what I'd do. Yeah. Well, and um, I don't know exactly what she did. I don't know if she went directly to Jean Benet's room to make sure that she wasn't, in fact, there. Well, I guess that, I mean, yeah, if it, this was true, that's what I would do. But. Yeah, but Jean Benet was not in her room, just for the record. Um, but here's a few things to note about this ransom note, okay? The note was written on stationery that came from the Ramsey home and with a pen from the Ramsey home. There was even a draft that the the author had written and discarded and started over in the in the trash can in their house yeah it was in their kitchen holy Um, smokes this note was so long way longer than typical ransom notes the fact that it's on the family stationery suggests that the kidnapper or kidnappers wrote the note while they were in the home but that just strikes me as so odd. Dr. Michael Bodden is a forensic pathologist who has worked on tons of famous cases. I actually remember him from being the main examiner in the HBO show Autopsy that I watched as a child. 
Yes, a child. That's why you're host no. of Mama Mystery now. <laughs> no supervision, clearly. <laughs> anyway, Dr. Bodden said that in his 60 years of experience, he had never seen a ransom note this long, indicating that it was unlikely to be written by an outside stranger. Um, and I also want to point out that in Boulder at the time, this was the only homicide to have occurred in that town that year. So, like, this is a very odd occurrence. Like, Everything about it's weird so far. Everything about it is weird. And it's only going to get weirder. So, anyway, Patsy sees this note and calls 911 at 5.52 a.m., even though the note specifically stated not to contact authorities. But I will play you some of that 911 call. And um, I'm going to do my best because it is through my phone. But here we go. So that's the the gist of like the nine one one note, or I'm sorry, the nine one one call. Without going anywhere right now, before you say anything, sure. that sounds very dramatized and almost like acting. And I have no idea if she has anything to do with it, but that's sketchy. Okay, so even the nine one one operator said that she kind of got a um, bad feeling when she heard this because she also said that it, it just seemed kind of staged. Yeah. And here's the thing, like, Patsy, from what I've gathered, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom. She was this pageant mom. And maybe maybe she was just kind of a dramatic person. If this really did happen and, and she had nothing to do with it or had no idea that this was what she was going to wake up to, you know, maybe she would be so hysterical. But, like, she, at the end of the 911 call it appeared as though she put the phone down, like on the base unit, but it didn't fully disconnect right at first. And for about six seconds, um, the call was like still on the line with 911. Because if you don't know, back in the day, you used to have like phones that were connected to a receiver and you had to like actively hang up the phone. And if it came right off, then it wouldn't, yeah. Yeah, and if it didn't like fully press that button, it wouldn't disconnect, okay? For you millennials that may have not, you know, grown up with a cord phone. But um, it wouldn't anyway. be millennials. Wouldn't it be like Generation X or some shit? I don't, I don't actually know. I don't know. <laughs> but you get what I, you yeah. get what I mean. Young, youngins. Young bucks. Um, so this tape has been analyzed nine times by everyone from the FBI to the U.S. Secret Service, professional audio labs, and, of course, Internet sleuths. Uh, none of these professional services have picked up on a third voice or any other extended conversation. But some people believe they can hear a man in the background saying, what did you do? Um, and Patsy saying, help me, Jesus, which has been proven she does, she has said, like, help me, Jesus, uh, multiple times in that phone call and when investigators were there. But uh, you can also hear, or apparently, allegedly, you can hear Burke in the background saying, what did you find? But the family has insisted that Burke was asleep at the time that this call was made. So she also called family and friends. Like, immediately after 911, she called family and friends, which... I thought it was really odd. When I put myself in these shoes, I can't imagine having like the frame of mind to call friends, maybe family, but like my friends, I don't know if I would have the frame of mind to call them. Like I, I can understand calling 911, but um, she apparently called her friends for emotional support. And I just think that's so bizarre, especially when the note so specifically stated not to get anyone else involved. Mm-hmm. 
Like, if I woke up to this note and my daughter's life is on the line... I don't know that I'm toying with that. I'm not going to mess around and, like, call my besties and be like, guys, what the heck? My daughter is missing. Yeah. Look for com- Come counseling. Me. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. But I, then again, I don't know what the hell you'd do. But, yeah, exactly. When you're not in that situation, it's really hard to, like, really judge, I guess. But when you have been handed this note, I mean, that's the thing, the note. Like, I don't know. But, um... If I truly believed someone had my daughter, I would be so much more careful. That's all I'm saying. Police arrived within three minutes of her making that phone call. They did a quick search of the house, but did not find any sign of forced entry. One of the officers, Rick French, went to the basement, but approached a closed door that was secured with a wooden latch. And for whatever reason... He did not open that door. He just turned and walked away. He later explained that his main goal was to find an exit route that a kidnapper may take, and that's why he didn't open the door. But this is important, and we'll come back to this later. So Jean Bonnet's father, John, immediately started making arrangements to pay the ransom. A forensic team came to the house and started collecting any evidence they could find, but they only zoned off Jean Bonnet's bedroom and not the rest of the house, which is really shoddy work. The friends and family that Patsy called were allowed to come into the house to help console Patsy. And while some of them were there, they were picking things up around the house, cleaning off counters in an effort like to, just to help, but destroying and contaminating precious evidence. Mm-hmm. What should have happened was that everyone should have been remo- removed from the house so that they could have done a thorough investigation and no new people should have been allowed in the house. And this is kind of weird, but at one point, investigators told Ramsey, or I'm sorry, John Ramsey, that he wasn't going to be able to stay the night there. They were going to have to find somewhere else to stay. Mm -hmm. So one of the detectives overheard him making a phone call to his private pilot, making arrangements for him and his family to fly to Atlanta. And I understand he has like property in Atlanta. And John never denied this when he was asked later if he did in fact make that phone call. And he did. But I'm thinking, why the hell would you fly all the way to Atlanta? I'm going to go across the country. That seems random. And your daughter is missing. Somewhere, probably in Boulder. Yeah, and at this point, she's still missing. Like, Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, that's weird. At around 1 p.m. that day, Detective Linda Arndt asked John and his friend Fleet White, who I think was also like a close neighbor, but John's best friend, to search the house to see if anything seemed out of place. They started their search in the basement, and once John opened the door that Officer French previously ignored, um, before even turning on the lights, John Fleet heard him say, oh my God, and flipped on the light, and there was Jean Benet. What? Yeah. I just got the goosebumps. Mm-hmm. She was in the basement? She was in the basement. In, in Behind the door? Behind that door, yeah. Right behind that door, she was on the So she was never missing, waiting for ransom? She was never actually missing. She was never taken out of the home. What? Yeah. Um, So she was unfortunately dead on the ground. She had a garrote, which is like a type of, uh, like a... Noose? I mean, I guess kind of, but it's like a it's like a rope with like a specific knot behind it, and it's used like to strangle people. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, John immediately picked up John Bonet and brought her upstairs. She had duct tape on her mouth, and he immediately took it off her mouth, mm-hmm. which I can understand as a parent why you would do that. 
but at the same time, like, it's really contaminating a crime scene. However, like, I am not saying he did the wrong thing. I I absolutely, 100% would have done the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I would have gotten my daughter off a cold, hard ground, taken the duct tape off, and just, I don't know, probably lost my mind. <laughs> but yeah, that's horrible to even think about. John immediately picked up JonBenet and brought her upstairs, which unfortunately, like I said, destroyed potential evidence as it disturbed the crime scene. This part kind of breaks my heart because I can only imagine what kind of reaction I would have. Um, but even though this was a huge mistake on John's part, I can absolutely see why he did it. However, one of the detectives recalled watching John bring Jean Bonnet upstairs, and he wasn't actually cradling her. Instead, he was holding her away from his body, which instantly gave the detective like a really sick feeling that John may have had something to do with it. And I don't know, can you put yourself in those shoes? Like you've just found your child dead on the ground and I can't imagine holding my child's body away from me. Like I would cradle my child as close to me as I possibly could. Maybe that's just me like as a mother. I think the same thing. Yeah. So I don't know. He immediately brought her upstairs, placed her on the floor right in front of the family Christmas tree and covered her up with a blanket. So the autopsy concluded that Jean Benet died from asphyxiation due to strangulation. She had a white cord around her neck and also around her wrists. Her mouth had been covered with duct tape, like I said, and her torso was covered with a white blanket, even when it was downstairs, which is typically something that is done when the victim is known by the murderer. She also suffered a skull fracture. To cover him by a blanket with a blanket? Yeah. It's just like a sign of like kind of intimacy whenever like if someone, if the victim is like known to the murderer. Mm-hmm. That's like just a common theme. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. Um, she also suffered a skull fracture. And this part really bothers me. Um, there was no conclusive evidence of rape as like no semen was found on the body. And her vagina appeared to have been wiped clean. Although a sexual assault definitely occurred. And the coroner also found pineapple bits in her stomach, like undigested. They were in her stomach. But her parents said they did not remember giving her any pineapple the night prior. But there was a bowl of pineapple in the kitchen, which had her nine-year-old brother Burke's fingerprints all over it. What? The the Ramses insisted that Burke was in his room all night asleep, and there was never any (sighs) physical evidence to prove otherwise. But, you know, in... In court, you have to be sure of something without any reasonable doubt. And I have reasonable doubt about a lot of this. So I am not completely ruling Burke out yet at this point. And this is just my opinion. I have to be very specific about the fact that this is my opinion. Because should Burke Ramsey ever hear this podcast, he could totally sue me, which he's done, apparently, to no like a shit. ton of other people. Yes, I'll get to Dude, that. Dude, if you're listening, we didn't say it. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. How old is he? Uh, now he's like closer to 30. We're not saying it was you, Burke. Yeah. You know, it, maybe it probably wasn't. But anyway, we're just going to talk about my thoughts and opinions and freedom of speech. Holy cow. <gasps> this case is nuts. So I'll get more into that later. But um, there are essentially two main theories as to what happened to Jean Benet. Initially, the investigation centered heavily on the Ramsey family. Detectives felt like the ransom note was unusually long, especially since it was written on the family stationery with a pen from the house, as well as after it was written, those items were put away. Why would a kidnapper take the time to put away the pad and pen they used to write the note? And the amount demanded was unusually close to the amount of John's Christmas bonus. 
And what really struck investigators as odd was the fact that the family was reluctant to cooperate with police and quickly hired a lawyer. The Ramseys would go on to say that this was because they feared the police would not conduct a full investigation and that they'd target the family as easy suspects. But in my opinion, you're giving them every reason to by not cooperating. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is nuts. Keep all, going. All three members of the family were questioned and performed handwriting tests to compare their handwriting to the note. Both John and Burke were cleared of any suspicion of writing the note, but apparently Patsy couldn't be completely ruled out. Um, what also strikes me as odd is that they only asked for $118,000 when at the time John's net worth was in the millions, well into the millions. So that was kind of odd to me. Plus, I think you'd have to be really, really close, if not in the family, to know what his bonus was. Mm-hmm. Right? 118 is just a really odd number. So what motive would there have been for this to have occurred in the family? I did a poll on my personal Facebook page and just asked my friends what they thought of this case. And I didn't suggest anything. I just really wanted to know what other people thought. And so many people came through with the vast majority suggesting that it was done within the family and that Burke did it because he was jealous of the attention that Jean Benet got and had an anger problem. That was like what people filled out as their reason? Mostly, yeah. Um, yeah. The night Jean Benet died, John claims that he carried his daughter to bed and tucked her in while Patsy was downstairs making Burke a snack, which I believe was the pineapple. And it seems plausible that after putting her to bed, she eventually got back up, which kids often do, and went downstairs. And at some point, she did something that set him off, and he attacked her. And this is not Wait, that this really did happen? This is what a lot of this people This is what a lot of people believe, believe happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because even though they say that, you know, they, um, that like Burke never got up in the middle of the night, that night that he was asleep the whole time, mm-hmm. there's more evidence later that I'll point out that goes against that. But also, um, they came out later and said that, like, Patsy made Burke a snack, which was the pineapple. Mm-hmm. And then the pineapple was in JonBenet's stomach even after they said JonBenet, they put her to bed. Mm-hmm. So there was no, like, John, or I'm sorry, John and Patsy never once said that JonBenet ever got out of bed that night. They, they got her out of bed once to go to the bathroom before they put her to bed to go to sleep because mm-hmm. she, like, had issues with wetting the bed. So they wanted to make sure that she wouldn't wet the bed. But that was before she went to bed. Uh, besides that, they said she never got back out of bed. So in my and John Benet's how old? Six. Okay. Yeah. So the idea that Burke could have killed her is really not that far-fetched of an idea. Apparently during a golf game with his sister, Burke lost his temper and hit her over the head with a golf club, which left a scar on her head. Wow. Also, according to a housekeeper, Burke would sometimes spread his feces around in JonBenet's room when she would upset him. What the heck? But he just had, like, really weird anger issues. Man, when I get mad on the golf course, I've broken a pitching wedge one time. I'll never do that again. But not over someone's head. Not over somebody's head. It was against the bunker wall. Yikes. I won't do that again, though. (laughs) That's nuts. Yeah. Um, So, investigators found a large flashlight near the bowl of pineapple that Burke was eating. So many people believe that since there was pineapple in her stomach, maybe she tried to take some of his pineapple and that that sent him off because pineapple was one of her favorite snacks. And when he lost his temper, he used the flashlight to strike her over the head. Um, 
And this flashlight that was found in the kitchen, it's one of those big mag light flashlights. Back in the day, those were the shit. Everybody had one of those. Yeah, they were huge and heavy. Like heavy. a good weapon. Yeah. Um, this flashlight found in the kitchen lined up with the skull fracture that was on Jean-Benet's skull. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, also, another thing I want to point out, and I didn't have this written in here, but I just want to, because I forgot. Uh, so the pineapple that was in her stomach and also like the skull fracture and the brain swelling and um, the strangulation, all of that, the medical examiner determined that her time of death was likely closer to 10 o'clock that night, which was not long after they got home from that party. So mm-hmm. it's really not that far-fetched for, you know, to think that maybe they put JonBenet to bed and then Burke was downstairs eating his late-night snack. She came down, stole some pineapple. He snapped, hit her over the fla- head with a flashlight. And, and it all escalated. Yeah, and it all escalated. Maybe they tried to help him cover it up. Um, a lot of people assume like the parents? that the parents helped cover it up because he was only nine. So a lot of people assume that the parents, that maybe Patsy wrote that note and that they had something to do with it to make it seem, you know, just to save Burke. Mm-hmm. How um, old are the parents now? Now? Are they um, still alive? Yeah. Well, no. Um, Patsy's passed away, but John is still alive. Um. And, of course, they've never admitted to any wrongdoing. Right. But, you know, the the facts are just kind of confusing. All over the place. I mean, it, it's tough to think it didn't happen from inside the house, especially the letter thing. That's weird. Yeah. And why leave a letter knowing that the child is dead downstairs? Why go to that mm-hmm. length? It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. Um so anyway, I watched an interview with Burke shortly after Jean Benet's death, and it is so bizarre. First of all, he is nine years old, okay, but he's fidgeting and climbing around in his chair, and maybe that's not super odd for a nine-year-old, but I just found it to be super childlike, like maybe he's acting much younger than like a nine-year-old, and he's smiling a lot during this interview, which made me really uncomfortable. There is something called duper's delight or duping delight, which is... The pleasure of being able to manipulate someone, often made visible to others by flashing a smile at an inappropriate moment. And many feel I like, did that in high school. <laughs> for sure. Just saying. Yeah, for those of you who don't know Austin, he was just really go ahead. <laughs> He's just kind of a clown. Really responsible now, though. Um, but many feel like this is exactly what's going on when Burke is talking about the murder of his sister and he's smiling. Also, when he was asked about the pineapple, he immediately covered his mouth with his hand, which is typically a sign that someone is withholding information. Former Boulder, former Boulder police chief Mark Becker was in charge of the investigation, and here is what he believed happened. He says, quote, We know from the evidence she was hit in the head very hard with an unknown object, possibly a flashlight or similar item. The blow knocked her into deep unconsciousness, which would have led someone to believe she was dead. The strangulation came 45 minutes to two hours after the head strike. Based on the swelling on the brain, while the head wound would have eventually killed her, the strangulation actually did kill her. The rest of the scene, we believe, was staged, including the vaginal trauma, to make it look like a kidnapping slash assault gone bad. He goes on to say, quote, I have avoided saying who I believe is responsible and let the facts speak for themselves. There are several viable theories, end quote. It's remarkable what they can do with forensics and autopsies and the the minutes between and everything. 
Yeah, like how they, how they can pinpoint like times, mm-hmm. time stamps, I guess. So as an adult, Burke did an exclusive interview with Dr. Phil, and it outraged a ton of people because this dude is so creepy, and he smiled through the entire interview. And some people blame it on awkwardness from anyone who has had such an unusual or traumatic childhood, but man, it is so painful and cringy to watch him literally smile through every question, every detail of that day. It is awful. And Dr. Phil seems to defend Burke for his odd affect, blaming it on the fact that he had a super sheltered life since the murder of his sister. Like, they couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't go to school. He couldn't go to the grocery store without seeing his family's face on the Mm -hmm. cover of every magazine. But even in the interviews as a nine-year-old, he had that same affect. Dr. Phil also points out that he was only nine at the time and laughs at the fact that a nine-year-old can't be a killer. He wasn't a suspect. Dr. Phil laughs? Yeah. And he goes, he wasn't a suspect. He was nine. But what about the fact that he hit her over the head with a golf club and spread feces around in in her room? Like, those are not normal behaviors. Also, it is not unheard of for kids to be killers. Eric Smith, who we will probably do a story on soon killed four-year-old Derek Robbie when he came home, when he came across him in a park. And this killing was completely random. Also, statistics, and Eric Smith was super young, like not even a teenager. Um, also, statistics show that kids are more often killed by a relative than they are a stranger. In my opinion, Dr. Phil probably stuck up for Burke for fear of being sued because the Ramseys got pretty sue happy when any me- media tried to suggest that Burke or anyone else in the family did it. I just looked up a picture of him and saw their family, and I just it's worth pointing out. You should look them up. They're like a picture-perfect family. Like, like the, the family yeah. pics of them really early but on. But then current. as you look of him current, he, he's got kind of a cheesy smile. Yes, it's just, and it's like a weird... Weasel. It's, it's like just, he's it a weasel that just did something. Yeah, that's interesting. I also want to point out that in this interview with Dr. Phil, Burke points out that he was downstairs the night Jean Bonnet died after everyone was asleep. Dr. Phil says, quote, I think your dad had said he used the flashlight that night to put you to bed, and then you snuck downstairs to play. Burke said, quote, yeah, I had some toy that I wanted to put together. I remember being downstairs after everyone was kind of in bed and wanting to get this thing out, end quote. It's so vague, kind of in bed and this thing. And yeah, like, and, and Dr. Phil setting up the conversation. Yeah. Let's see. You're probably downstairs, right? So Dr. Phil says, quote, did you use the flashlight so you wouldn't be seen? And Burke says, I don't remember. I just remember being downstairs. I remember this toy. But he's admitting You don't to- not remember that night oh my gosh, when right? that happened. I remember the day of 9-11. I remember yeah. exactly what I did that day. I remember that morning. I remember... And that was close to home as in America? Yes. Imagine close to home as in in your house. Yeah, your sibling was murdered. You remember everything. And I remember the, the night that happened. my brother launched a Lincoln log at me across the basement and it cut my eye open. Like, I remember... <laughs> yeah. But you remember You remember big events. things, yeah. Yes, and it's not just like, mm, I don't know, I kind And this remember. was not just big. This was a major life event. Huge. Like, this is a horrible tragedy. Yes. Exactly. So, I don't know. I just am not quite buying it. Okay, when I just searched it just now, I don't know if we're done, but I, I have to we're say something. Close. I got to say finished. something. Uh-huh. When I just searched it, searched um, John Bonet, 
there is a conspiracy theory that pop star Katy Perry is John oh, Bonet. We'll get to that. Okay, I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is that? She's dead. We'll get to I that. I say that I didn't mean to say that so cold. Okay, just no, so you guys know, but no, but we'll get to that. Okay. Someone else mentioned that in the comments too. Like, have you seen the conspiracy theory that Katy Perry? Okay, is keep going because this is so okay. crazy. So anyway, lastly, what I cannot wrap my head around is if this was the act of an intruder, why bother leaving the note when she's dead downstairs? The note is just more evidence. So why would they leave the note? Why would they leave the body? Right. If she's if she's not alive downstairs in the house. Right. There's no point in leaving a note. Yeah. It's not like and, you're not going to find it. Right. Not going to find her. Honestly, there's no point in leaving the body either. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, I mean, you take the body with you as more evidence. And if these kidnappers were legit, then yeah, right. you probably take the body too. Um, so anyway, none of it makes any sense. It just leads me to believe that it is very, that it is more likely that this happened within the family, that this was an accident stemming from rage that just unfortunately cost JonBenet her life and that the parents probably helped cover it up because they wouldn't want to lose a second child or in John's case, a third child, considering his oldest daughter had died in a car crash just a few years prior to JonBenet's death. All theory, Burke. All theories. Okay, we're allowed to have opinions. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has them, even you, Burke. Oh my gosh, if he's listening, he's getting I'm so angry. <laughs> so angry. So the second theory, of course, is that an intruder did this, and there is some physical evidence to support this. There was a boot print found next to Jean Bonnet's body, which did not belong to anyone in the family. That's strange. Uh-huh. But there was that officer that walked down there. Yeah, and there were plenty of other people in the house. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to rule out a boot print? How do we know that the boot print wasn't there before Jean Bonnet was laid there? Mm-hmm. This boot print could have been put there days prior. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. There was also a broken window in the basement, which was believed to be a point of entry for an intruder. Um, but, I mean, again, like... There's it's no... fairly easy. I mean, here's the deal: if the, all the other stuff didn't that we discussed didn't happen, then but there were no you could you, in the snow and outside. you're trying to stage it. Then you would have broke the you could break a window pretty easily. Sure. To try to stage it. Yeah, and like I said, there was no snow print. Or, there was uh, no footprints, footprints in, the, in snow. the snow. There was no footprints in the snow. Mm-mm. Just a broken window. Just a broken window. There was also DNA from a drop of blood from an unknown male found on her underwear. And from what I understand, this was like a single drop of blood. But some reports that I read, it was kind of confusing because some reports said it was a drop of blood. Some said it was just touch DNA, which could have been dead skin cells, sweat, saliva, anything, right? That's pretty weird. This DNA evidence didn't actually match any of the family members, nor did it provoke any hits on CODIS years later. And CODIS is like the main system to, you know, you submit DNA testing to see if you find any matches within this system and it'll send you their profile, right? Ultimately, though, this DNA evidence was used to clear the family as suspects, even though some people disagree that it should have cleared them. In 1999, a grand jury voted to indict both Ramsey parents for the crime. A grand jury, okay, voted to indict the Ramsey parents for the crime. But the district attorney declined to sign this indictment, citing thin evidence and instead said no further court action would be taken. However, that decision only came to light in 2013. 
So that's like 14 years later that that finally came to light. One of the most famous suspects, so we're going to talk about a variety of just the most popular suspects, okay? So one of them was this creepy dude named John Carr. He used to be a school teacher, which is super disturbing. He was arrested in 2006 when he confessed to killing Jean Benet by accident after he drugged her and sexually assaulted her. He admitted that he had been obsessed with the murder of Jean Benet, and when his DNA didn't match up with the DNA found on Jean Benet's underwear, they pro- or they proved that he was making the whole thing up. He claimed that he drugged her, but no drugs were found in her system. Wait, he came out and said, I did this? Yeah, but I mean, that's not unheard of for people to come out and admit to crimes they didn't commit just for the um, fame. Media? That's so unfortunate. I know, right? Why would you admit to that? Another suspect was a man named Gary Oliva, who was a 32-year-old drifter and known sex offender in Boulder, Colorado. He was apprehended on drug charges in 2000. And when police went through his backpack, they found a cutout of JonBenet Ramsey from a magazine in his backpack. And this was obviously super suspicious. And what really struck me was that one of Gary's old high school friends, Michael Vale, stepped forward with an allegation that not long after the murder, Gary called him and said, quote, I hurt a little girl. I hurt a little girl, end quote. He also told investigators that he was really put off by the specific knots to, that were used to strangle Jean Benet on that garrote that was used. These were intricate knots that were apparently really similar to the knots that Gary used when he tried to kill his own mother with a telephone cord. But he was ultimately cleared by DNA testing. Another potential suspect was a man named Michael Helgoth. Michael worked in a nearby auto salvage yard and as an electrician. Apparently, this guy was in a property dispute with the Ramseys, and the theory was that maybe he attempted to kidnap John Bonet as retaliation or like an attempt to settle this dispute. However, he caught wind that he was being considered a person of interest, and he committed suicide before they could get to him. Whoa, that's pretty strange. That's really strange. But once they tested his DNA, he was not a match. So he was inevitably clear. A match to that blood. Right. Still doesn't clear him entirely from the whole entire thing. Right. I mean, because it... But if you say that, then you have to be able to say that that can't be cleared either. That's the thing about the... The system, the legal system that I don't fully, I think, agree with is that like this beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what. Right. And if sometimes you just common sense. Is Casey common Anthony. Sense. Exactly. Stud makes sense. Example. Yeah. So, so it's just weird, but. Yeah. Um, so in the very beginning, when investigators asked if the parents had any idea who could have done this to their daughter, um, Patsy immediately pointed the finger at one of the housekeepers and they actually both apparently were pointing the fingers at like anybody. They were just like, well, this person could have done it. This person probably would have, which I find funny cause uh, not funny, but odd because if someone took one of our kids, like, I can't imagine thinking like who, who would have done that? Like, I don't know. I mean, especially people so close, like mm-hmm. I can't, I wouldn't associate with those type of people. I wouldn't. I don't know. It's just so weird that they're so quick to be like throwing out all these suggestions. And some people think it was to get the heat off of them and right. the spotlight like off if of If you them. think you're, if, if you could point to your housekeepers, if, if there's even an ounce of you that could say, well, they could have done it. I don't think they would have, but they could have. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't allow them in your house. You would think. Yeah. 
So according to an article in Rolling Stone, Pat, Patsy claimed to investigators that the housekeeper was struggling for money and had asked for a loan of several thousand dollars, which Ramsey had declined. Police showed up at her house the night after the murder and asked the 57-year-old housekeeper to write the number 180,000 on a piece of paper. 118? No, this said 180. Okay. So I don't know if they were just writing it to like throw her off. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's just what was in the article. On a piece of paper. And they also reportedly took her fingerprints and several strands of her hair. She then testified in front of a grand jury for a total of eight hours. Um, including a statement against Patsy that read, I think she had multiple personalities. She'd been in a good mood, and then she'd be cranky. She got into arguments with Jean Bonnet about wearing a dress or about a friend coming over. I had never seen Patsy so upset. Um, so this theory asserted that the housekeeper led a trusting Jean Bonnet down into the basement that night in an attempt to trick her employers into leaving money for her ransom. It's possible she could have seen John Ramsey's pay stub for the for the bonus, and that that's why maybe she would have chosen that like as her demand. Mm-hmm. And she was also familiar with the home and the family's schedule. She makes a convenient suspect, and without an alibi, she was asleep in bed while her husband was apparently asleep on the couch. There is no room, or I'm sorry, there is room to speculate that she could have been involved. So far, all evidence implicating her in the case is circumstantial, and she's never been formally accused of this crime. And that's all according to a Rolling Stones article. So, ultimately, all we have here are theories because no one has been definitively tied to the crime with DNA evidence. And apparently... Nobody's probably going to be charged with it until well, yeah. they... And, 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 and any inside the house DNA would already be in the house, so... Right, especially if it was a family member that did it, yeah. hmm So in 2016, CBS aired the case of Jean Benet Ramsey, which heavily implied that Burke killed Jean Benet, despite the DNA evidence not matching him. So Burke filed a $750 million lawsuit against CBS for defamation... The case was settled in 2019 for an undisclosed amount. Patsy passed away in 2006 at the age of 49 from ovarian cancer. John has since remarried, and Burke works remotely as a computer engineer, staying out of public eye. To this day, the case remains unsolved. There was also rumors that John started dating Natalie Holloway's mom, but they both denied that saying that they just had a deep friendship because of the similarities. Of Who the is Natalie thing. Holloway? Oh, brother. We're going to have to do a case on Natalie Holloway. <laughs> you know, that's a really popular case. She's the girl that disappeared when she was in spring break in Mexico with her friends. Never heard of her. Oh, you're such a perfect co-host for this show. Does, okay, does it have other podcasts done? Have other, any other podcasters or any other news outlets done stories on on natalie holloway on this on this on john john Bonnet ramsey yeah. oh yeah this is a big case big case and i mean yeah there's been lots of um like i said in the beginning a lot of podcasters have covered this case so i was almost reluctant to do it but it was re- uh, recommended by some listeners so and like it was multiple listeners so mm-hmm. and the funny thing is if you're if you've made it this far my friend ashley um She's one of my best friends. She was going to be on this episode with me because she has a lot of opinions about this case. And the first thing she said was, don't say that Burke did it. Really? <laughs> yeah. See, she needs to have a little insert here. I know. So, Who does she think did it? 
I don't know. I think she said, don't say Burke did it because he'll sue. <laughs> uh, I don't think she said it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I misread it. We text a lot, so I get them all confused. But maybe she was saying, don't say that Burke did it because she doesn't agree that Burke did it. I think what she meant, though, was that don't say Burke did it or he'll sue your ass. What does... so? What's, Bring it on. I've got nothing. What's this... Um, What's this theory about Katy Perry? Oh, yeah. So apparently this guy made this viral post on something like maybe it was Reddit or something. I don't know. And he was just suggesting that Katy Perry is actually the child star or is actually JonBenet Ramsey. And I don't know what reason there would be for that to be true, but there are so many holes in this story, especially the child pictures of Katy Perry, the fact that there are pictures and tons of evidence that Jean Benet was in fact killed, and there was an actual body with an autopsy, and she is, it, you know, buried next yeah, to her I mom don't and understand. sister. I mean, doesn't that it, it makes no sense? But some people were like, "Ooh, spooky," because maybe they look alike, and I think that's literally it. Probably flat earthers. Maybe. I got friends that are flat earthers. See so you guys now. Do you really? Yeah. You have friends that believe the earth is flat? I bet you do too. I bet you, I'll bet you this. Oh, hey, I'll no. bet you 20% of the listeners think the earth is flat. 20%? It is astonishing how many people in this world think the earth is flat. Oh my gosh. Leave it in the comments. If I want to you know your opinion. In the Instagram on mama.mystery, if you think the earth is flat, I need to know. We got to put a put a Instagram story a poll, a poll up after this. Oh, no, also, I'm afraid to see the. I'm results. telling you, I'll bet you. Oh, I'll bet no. you. I'll say this: ten to twenty percent of them think the Earth is flat. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! 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 Have a good week, everybody. Thank you so much. Mama, we'll see you soon. Mystery out. Bye.